and welcome to Tech Live. Stephanie Christopher here, Chief Executive of the Executive Connection. Tech connects CEOs, executives, and business owners to the world's largest business leader network. We're committed to delivering actionable insights, accelerating business performance, and optimizing decision making. Today, I'm talking to Ashton Bishop. Ashton is Australia's predatory marketer. Sounds scary, I know. He's an expert in pinpointing how brands can grow by outsmarting their competitors. However, his path, as would be with Ashton anyway, was a somewhat unusual one. After graduating with a commerce and law degree, he turned his hand to street performing on the streets of Denmark, TV presenting, stand-up comedy, film directing, and even literally ran away with the circus. Uh, He came back. He found his niche in marketing, where he spent the last 14 years working internationally on some of the world's biggest brands. He's a business owner, a serial entrepreneur, a challenging, sometimes even controversial, but he's always focused on what gets results. And Ashton and I uh, love our conversations since we first met five years ago. And this is the first time that it's been recorded. I said to Ashton, it's just like a normal chat we have, except someone's actually recording it. Welcome, Ashton. Thank you, Stephanie. Do you know, I figured out, it's literally five years ago, about this week that we met, I first met you at a Vivid event in Sydney. Yeah, Vivid Time again. Yeah, Vivid Time again. And since then, our conversations are always far-reaching. And today we're going to talk about customer centricity, which sounds... Is that a lofty term for the customer's always right or is it something else? Customer centricity, not easy to say and as a concept, not really easy to get your head around. And that's sort of why we've been exploring it, documenting it, engaging with our customers. So we've held events around bringing together panels of industry commentators, industry leaders Mm. and really saying what does customer centricity mean? And when you say we, this is, of course, through your own business, Step Change. Through Step Change, yeah. So we've dealt with a lot of different businesses, a little bit like tech, a lot of tech tech clients we've been lucky enough to work with and share uh, within the tech community for sort of best part of 10 years now. Yeah. And, And across that, we've got a lot of different data points of how those businesses, those challenger businesses are redefining what it means to deliver value to customers. That's really at the heart of it. So what are the key elements of that? So the key elements of customer centricity is really understanding that things are changing. So yes, customers are demanding change. So beyond just being demanding, they're demanding change. There's innovators that are driving change. And often that surprise and delight comes from something that wasn't previously imagined. Mm. And then there's this, certainly financial sectors at the moment, there's the regulators driving change. And often when especially in Australia, when something goes wrong, the legislating effect of lowest common denominator means that regulation is is a big effect. Surprise and delight. I love the story Mm. you told me when we were chatting a couple of weeks ago on the phone about the motel in LA. Was that in LA? Yeah, yeah. Tell me about that. I think it's called Magic Castle, which is basically one of those 1970s, 1980s sort of drive-in motels, which nothing is really spectacular about the building or the place. And... When you, when you look at the photos, you go, oh, that just looks like another sort of motel. But you check the reviews and there's more five-star reviews than basically any other hotel in, mm. in LA. It's the, it's the most recommended. And when you look into it, there's things that they do there that are surprising to like. They're these lightning strikes of delighting customers. So when you go to the pool... 
there's a red phone by the side of the pool. And you go, oh, is that for uh, calling the lifeguard? And yeah. you pick the phone up, it goes, hello, popsicle hotline. Yeah. And then the next thing you know, there's a, a waiter who comes in a full penguin suit with a tray with free popsicles. Uh, so you imagine the delight of the squealing kids and adults of that joy. And the key word there was free popsicles. But the magic behind that story is that if you ask customers what they'd wanted, uh, they'd do the standard thing that people do is compare something to an archetype and and weigh up the difference. So if I said, what's the problem with this studio? You yeah. go, oh, well, there's a, Ashton's left his papers on the floor and you'd be able to spot all the things that are out of place. It's very difficult to tell somebody what would surprise and delight you because it's outside your awareness. Yeah, do you know, mm. I, and I've gone way back now to when I would have worked perhaps preparing a tender for government mm. or something like that, and they'd basically say, how will you surprise and delight us? Mm. And that's actually a really hard thing to answer yeah. because, well, I don't know what's going to surprise you. Yeah. So how do you do that if you're a business owner? Yeah. And you've got, as you say, customers are demanding... Mm. Yeah, it's great. Well, you, you start with the premise by going, I'm not going to focus my resource and attentions on filling in potholes. Right. Those little bumps of annoyance. Yeah. So there's a whole bunch of behavioural economics around this uh, done by Kahneman Tversky, mm-hmm. Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow. And what it says is basically when it comes to any sort of experience, be it a human experience, a customer experience, there's this thing called duration neglect. Mm-hmm. Is that we forget how long it goes for and we forget all the little bits. Yeah. And it's just about how it made us feel. And, yeah. and with with the way people feel, it's just that those peak emotional moments. So if you look at the Henry Ford quote, it says, if I'd asked people what they wanted, I would have built a faster horse. Yeah, that's right. So the steps are, first of all, figure out your customers are probably not going to tell you what will delight them. Mm. The second thing is the only way you're going to really be able to invest in the surprise and the delight mm. is by stopping to try and make everything okay yeah. and make a couple of things amazing. And that's where you get the inspiration from generally other sectors or categories. Mm. And in this, they call it the Medici effect, or in French, I think they, they call it the moment of Kudoy, these lightning strike moments of when you connect previously unconnected things. Right. Uh, and so that's, that's quite risky, isn't it? So absolutely. I'm going to let some things go mm. that might annoy someone. Mm. Okay. And, and that's the wonderful thing about risk is that people – see the risk inherent within change, Yeah, they don't often see the risk inherent in not changing. And I remember I was with a client once and they had had a decline year on year. Mm-hmm. And they went, oh, we've got a decline year on year, we need to do some marketing. And when we looked at the data, they hadn't had a decline year on year, they had a decline on year on year on year. Uh-huh. And their appetite for change to resolve that was pretty small. Mm. So we just graphed it and we went, actually, given your current rate of decline, by the year X, you won't have a problem because you'll be completely out <laughs> of business. You'll be on the beach. Yeah, you'll be, yeah. You'll be actually <laughs> on the beach. So it's often making the risk of not changing real and apparent yes. is, is the first thing we need to do by saying, yeah, there's a risk in doing it. And you know, when we started Step Change, we, we brought out, we started mid-GFC, no clients, no money, basically no idea. Yeah. And when we didn't have the, the credentials pitch and the documents and the existing clients, hard to get work. So we started with a no result, no invoice policy. Mm. And when you're looking at that for the first time, there's only risk. 
It's like, what if we do this first client and they don't pay? Then, yeah. then we're gone. Uh, but sort of over that preceding, you know, almost a thousand jobs, I think you know we haven't had one client actually claim that within uh, the intention of, of uh, what it's designed to protect. Yeah, it's good. Mm. So can I go back to when you said about surprise and delight mm. being joining up two things that aren't usually connected? Yeah. Can you give me an example of that? Yeah, so going back to the example we're talking about is silver service and swimming pools. They they also went, you know, they will do things like uh, have for the breakfast buffets, they'll have entertainment clowns. So mixing birthday parties and breakfast. So right. they basically went, what does entertainment at a kid's birthday party look like? Yeah. Let's bring that to breakfast, yeah? They also have uh, at the Magic Kingdom, they have the the mini bar that's basically free. Mm. It's like eat as much as you want. Mm. Dry cleaning, free. Yes. So that's bringing that unusual moment of, of of the unexpected. So if you can either bring something that's unexpected or take away a pain that people expect, that's a delight. I mean, if you look at Uber's removal of pain, mm. what did Uber do? It, it, it blended avatars, payments and GPS. Mm. So three existing technologies came together. Mm. But what happened is you didn't need to repeat where you were going five times. Oh, Yes. Lightning strike, like sort of yes. removed pain. You just get out at yeah. the end. It still surprises yeah. me when I think, "Can I just get out?" Yeah, yeah. And then, the, and, and then, and then you get out of a taxi for the first time when you've gone back yeah, from moving yeah, a taxi, yeah. and they go, oh, uh, "Excuse me," waving it. Yeah, but that's the that's really the key of looking at from the person's emotional state. What drives real delight, or what would remove the pain? And so they're they're the lightning strike strike moments of the. The F me moments are like, wow, that was so yeah. amazing, or removing the F you moments. And and often they're there, but people within the existing category just won't address it, won't face it, uh, or, or, or won't remove it. Does this flag a shift in value in what customers perceive as value as a supplier or mm. a company? Yeah. Can you drive a shift in perceived value in a customer? Absolutely, and I think... When you actually think about value, I love your, your question, Stephanie. All values perceive value. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah. Of course uh, it is. Because people, a lot of customers come to us and they say, oh, uh, people buy on price. I say, yeah. you can't buy on price, you yeah. buy on value. And why do people want to focus on price? Because it's easy to compare. Mm. What's better value? $400 or $300? It depends. <laughs> if you pretend it's for the same thing, yeah. it's easy. And and that's the real challenge for most of the businesses, especially in this challenger space, mm. is to challenge what represents value. Mm. To really come in and say, well, look, if people make emotional decisions and then rational justifications, mm. what's emotionally engaging them? And mm. the thing about sort of lightning strikes or that value delivery is, right at the start when we're setting up that emotional connection, mm. it matters disproportionately more than just about anything else. Because if you set a negative tone at the start, it doesn't matter how rational or how good, yeah. we just aren't listening. One in the middle and then the end matters a lot as well. So the, the formula for a great experience is actually peak intensity, end moment, divided yes. by two. And what that looks like is is actually... You're saying that, you know, we don't compete with people in our category. We compete with the Uber experience. Like there's a mm. the moment that Apple, you know, are loved by customers for and hated by competitors is when somebody gets drunk, vomits on their phone, drops it in the toilet, works, walks up to the Genius Bar and goes, oh, I got drunk and here's my phone and it doesn't work and I don't have a receipt. 
Okay. Don't worry, sir. You have a brand new one. I've upgraded you. I've transferred all your files. Have a great day. Yeah. And, and that sort of experience then has, that's what they expect from every category. And that's the challenge, isn't it? Yeah. Super challenging. What are the kinds of things that customers are expecting now to demonstrate value? So one of the big shifts that I think, you know, we're fortunate because we work across, I think, all of the ATO's 18 different tax categories, just yeah. as you'd have members from every different ca- tax category. And yeah, I've never really thought of segmentation that way. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, you fit into this tax category. Yeah, well, the, the, yeah. The, the tax department doesn't miss much. No. But the, there's a beautiful quote. This is basically, the future's here already. It's just not evenly distributed. Yeah. And if you look at what's happening yeah. in different categories or sectors, they mature at different rates. And often it's about, first of all, adding additional value. So when you talk about subjective value, there's a subjective loading in free. So people make mistakes when people or customers ask for a discount and they just go, oh, well, I'll just take some money off. What's the problem with that? First, you're training customers that there was margin in there you can afford to give away. The second thing is you're training them that that's what they should ask for. So it's much better to understand what they're looking for in terms of value not being equivalent and equivalent to what. So maybe they're comparing apples and pears. Yes. The second thing around that is there is a subjective value in free Mm. that's far better. So if you give somebody a $200 discount, that's far less valuable than adding an additional service. For free. For free that's worth $200. Yes. People relate to it differently. They react to it differently. And the subjective values far different as well. Does this relate in any way to a customer in a transaction like that, even if it's a big transaction, Mm. needing to feel like they've won? That's exactly right. So there's two types of value. There's basically the transactional value and then the the holding value. So there's the the value in the the service that you've got Mm. and how you use it and the benefits. But then in the financial transaction around it, was prices, and I know different categories, different sectors, but that's immediately value creation. And there was someone I was talking to once and they went, I was trying to get rid of this washing machine and I left I left it on the side of the road and they wouldn't outside my parents' place and they wouldn't huh. take it. I put a for sale sign on it for twenty dollars and it was gone in an instant. <laughs> yeah. And what they'd done was they'd there was the value inherent within the washing machine, but too cheap to be good. Yeah. They created an extra additional value mm. of twenty dollars and, mm. and it went. And so Back to pricing then, Mm. I guess I've got a retail example I'm thinking Mm. because that's the challenge with value. So I'm thinking Banana Republic, Mm. store I love when I'm in the States. It's permanently 40% on sale. Yeah. And if it's not for five minutes, there's no way. Yeah, so, I mean, effectively retail ruined it for themselves a lot. And I I used to love that, you know, uh, the Harvey Norman type our fire sale was so great. We've burnt the new place down. We've gone crazy. We've gone nuts. I just smashed myself on the head with a sledgehammer. Everything's going. Apple computers accepted. Yeah. And, yeah, and yeah, I yeah. think when you look at the world's yeah. most valuable business yes. and the brand that sits behind it yes. and the exclusion that it had from stepping out of that fray, yeah. the question is for people, I don't know how to win a price war. When clients come no. to us and say, we're in a price war, how do we win? I don't know. It's a race to the bottom and generally everybody loses because as the margin comes out of a category, mm. service levels drop, quality yeah. levels drop. Yeah. And it's it, a bit of a cycle then, it, isn't it? It's definitely because a cycle. then someone comes back in. Yeah. 
creating a different view of value, which yeah. is actually good performance or something yeah. that will last, and then the money goes back up again. Yeah, and I mean, and you don't have to play the same game. A ten percent off is the same in one in every tenth person shops for free. Yeah, and you think yeah. about the magic, the behaviours, yeah, right. the advocacy, the yeah. the experience around that. Yeah, if where can and it comes back to that pothole things. If you stop doing the same things that are a low value, mm. where can you reinvest that? Mm. And and the people who we talked about lightning strike theories a lot. They go, oh, I'll, I'll do another lightning strike and another lightning yeah. strike. And a- no, <laughs> they're that, not anymore. That's the pothole <laughs> game. If you've got extra resources, yeah. reinvest in making that one lightning strike. You've got even more amazing. Double down on it. Wow, okay. Mm. So how do you cope if there's an engagement of whatever period of time? Mm-hmm. And I love the surprise and delight at the beginning. Yeah. And I get the big finish. Mm. How do you navigate then when little things go wrong and I got my invoice the wrong time Mm. or you said whatever and you said I get Ashton Mm. and I got Stephanie or whatever? How do you deal with that then? That's called an upgrade. They say you're expecting Ashton, you got Stephanie. (laughs) Yeah, that's right, exactly. That's called an upgrade. (laughs) Thank you, Ashton. (laughs) Now you've thrown me off. But anyway, back to this idea of the potholes in any – because any engagement, if you've got people and a customer, Mm. something's going to go wrong. Mm. How do you manage that? You can't say, yes, but wait till we're finished. You're going to be so delighted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's – I think the first thing is just reiterating some of the points that we've talked about because it does come together, right? Mm. So the first thing is if you've won with a big emotional play up front, yes. people are less likely to pay attention to the negatives uh. than if they start off with a negative frame. So it pays back right. many times. So if you think about an equity point, you can get a compound effect for more good stuff, yep. but you also get a second chance draw. around that yeah yeah the other thing is is what you want to do is if you know there's bad news you want to bundle it okay tell me about that so as long as the bad news is not going to create what's called the the trough experience yes which is the fu moment yeah you want to say during the course of this engagement this membership this whatever there's a few things that you should know about that are coming. So we have this conversation after we've shown you how amazing it will be and we've sold you. So people's happiness today is determined by the future that they're living into. Yes, right? yes. So if it's prediction, isn't it? Yeah, it's the affect. It's called the yes. affect heuristic. So you're making decisions today on, today on how you think you're going to feel. So if we've started off with an amazing mm. engagement, right, yep. and we think it's going to go well, then we're forgiving and we're looking for the good. Yes. Yeah, so, we're, so we're working towards that. So... If I, if I know there's bad stuff coming, yes. I don't want to surprise you with it. I want I want to flag it and I want to say there's, you know, during the course of this, it's a relationship. There'll be ups and downs. Yes. We're going to end in this place, but you yeah. need to know that. Ba-da, 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 ba-da. And if I can cluster those together, as long as I'm not creating the most negative yes. experience, you just count that as one. Yeah. So you want to spread out. It's counterintuitive. Yeah. You want to spread out the good news. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and you want to cluster the bad. Yeah. So that, right. That's one of the things that, that's really important. Yeah. You also want to set. You want to set your frontline staff up to be empowered. Mm. So the. We've been hearing that for a long time, re- haven't we? It really yeah. is. It's one of the when we sat down and went through the the customer centricity framework in the transition. There's basically twelve coordinated points, they don't all matter the most. And when it comes to what matters the most is that your customer experience will never exceed your level of internal staff engagement. So if your staff don't feel uh, supported, connected, safe, 
and engaged, mm. the probability your customer experience is going to be any better than that. This doesn't yeah. happen. And when you talk about sort of the creation of lightning strikes and the merging of that with customer experience, Zappos is very famous for that. And in his book, Delivering Happiness, Tony Shea goes into one of values-based culture and they basically create these mad, like a menagerie of designing weird office spaces and quirky mm. behaviours. But frontline staff were given a large discretionary budget and told to delight customers. And they would do crazy things. Yeah. So they'd stay on the phone for 16 hours or something and they're, <laughs> de- they're delivering uh, pizzas to people while they're on the phone and they're hand-delivering stuff and having a lot of fun and it's a bit weird and it's a bit crazy, but that was the marketing for Zappos. Mm. That was the marketing. Mm. And around that, what's amazing is that only 2% of the calls went to the call centre. But that was what the brand was known for and that's what built it. So empowering frontline staff with the discretion to deliver against an experience. Now, the experience of what that looks like from a value expression has to be united, else you just get random. But if you can clearly articulate what that you're you're a little bit weird, a little bit crazy, which a Zappos type of experience Mm. is like, then... staff who are empowered and resourced to deliver that become the key differentiator in that. And as you said, you can't exceed the engagement of your staff. So it always comes back to people. Mm. Everything comes back to people. You just alluded to your framework. Yep. And I know part of your framework, there's some shifts, aren't there, that that have to happen. Mm -hmm. And I can just say now that if anyone wants to download the whole framework... Where did they get that from? So you just go to the Step Change blog. Yeah. Uh, there'll, be, there'll be links available Great. on that or find me on LinkedIn is always a, another way Great, of doing Ash, it. Great, Ash, and yep. just thought because it's actually, it's kind of complex and simple mm. at the same time. So tell me about the shifts. What so, are the big shifts? So there's, there's seven shifts to customer centricity. Yeah. And the first one is, did you want me to go through them quickly? Well, I'm just, yeah, why don't you go through them quickly? Sure, just r- real quick. So instead of moving from a place where people are using understanding of customers to sell to them. This is shifting to understand customers to serve them, to really understand what the needs are and be responsible for the delivery of value. From understanding what customers want to what they value, because what customers actually say they want to actually what they value are often different things. And they may not know. Exactly right. Because they may know what they want, but they may not know what they actually value. Or what they don't want. And that's, that's the next point. And probably your question, one of your earlier questions tapped on this, Stephanie, is that the greatest value we can often add to customers today is to not add something additional. When you look at maturity of markets, mm. where the people start, you know, they discount and they add something yeah. for free and then they add more service value. Yeah. Now the most successful businesses are, are often removing friction. Yes, I like and that. And that's probably the question du jour mm. is not what I can add in, what can I take out? Yeah. So how can I make it easy and smooth and yeah. remove the friction? Yeah. Data instead of reporting about predicting. And that's really machine learning and AI, and that's where it's really going to bite and change things. And that's Amazon, isn't it? It's time to change your toothbrush. Yeah, absolutely. And while you're at it, what about this and this and this? Yeah, to predict. And it's saying, oh, if you've bought this many times, then you should then have the the fluoride treatment and then the airbrushing and then the other things. So moving with that. The airbrushing, that's the photographer. (laughs) Love the airbrushing. Sometimes you you get beyond that. Yeah, yeah. The air blasting, isn't it? Yeah, I think the air, yeah, that's right, airbrushing is what I need. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So from segments to individual, 
Yeah. And I think this is really when we look at mm. the power of marketing automation systems to predetermine journeys that yeah. work, but then have that personalization in it. And that's really big in everything now, isn't it? That hyper personalization. Hyper personalization. Yep. If you look at it, it's one, of, from the, you. It's one yep. of the mega trends around how can you use 3D printing, data, yeah. and the intersection of different fields to create something hyper personalized yeah, for people. That's good. The, the marketing team to the whole organization, this is mm. where this conversation around what does customer centricity mean? Well, doesn't really matter what it means unless you get the vertical alignment from board to executive to manager mm. to frontline. Mm. And if there's a break in that connection, uh, it doesn't happen. Mm. And then you need to link product to customer experience, to marketing, mm. to sales. Mm. So you've got a depth and a breadth. Mm. And unless there is a real interest in coordinating that, mm. then probably don't even undertake the journey. Mm. And then it's better results today versus investing in relationships like last a lifetime. And if you look at those two metrics around all the dashboarding and the data and the reporting and the things that, that businesses come up with, unless you know your cost of acquiring a customer and your lifetime value, mm. you don't know whether you've got a business. Mm. And, and that's really that that metric of if you know your customer lifetime value, you know that's trending in the right direction, mm. then we can play with cost of customer acquisition. And it's, it's business happens between those two variables. I know I told you before about when I worked for an insurance company and they stated a value was customer obsession. Mm. And we used to sort of talk about is that driving slowly past a customer's house? <laughs> but what I like about what you're saying, moving from the marketing department yeah. or the sales department, it's mm. actually the whole organisation. Yeah. That's talking about authenticity, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. You can't actually do anything about this unless you really mean it. Mm. And as a leader, you're going to lead that, but the whole organisation is going to act with that in mind. Yeah. I think, Ashton, you make the complex fascinating. And for me, you also make the complex kind of attainable as well. As always, it's just been such a pleasure speaking to you. And Ashton Bishop, thank you very much. Thanks, Stephanie. So that's Tech Live for today. CEOs are in the business of making decisions and leadership is the art of execution. I'm Stephanie Christopher and look forward to talking to you next time. Music